we are so grateful that you have given us your word. Holy Spirit, you inspired this word. You carried along the authors, and we, thousands of years later, are still blessed because your word is alive. Your word is real. Your word surpasses all cultures, all years, all peoples, and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will use my mouth to speak your words this morning, and I pray that our hearts will be convinced and convicted this morning. Even as we come to something that might be familiar for our, our, our believing selves, as we've grown up in the church or we know a lot about the gospel, I pray, God, that we'll come at it with an attitude of humility so that we can learn something new but also put something new into our lives. Because it's not just about education. This time is about transformation. And I pray that you'll be with us in your name. Amen. Amen. I, I don't know what thoughts or emotions uh, well up within you when you hear the word home. I'm sure that in a crowd this diverse, that there's several different ideals that come up when I say, think about the word home. What does home mean to you? I'm sure there's several different ideas that come to mind. Some of them may be good where you think about all of the great love and the care that you received in your home. You might think of your parents, your kids, or whatever it is. I know that I think of, when I think of the word home, I think of Hillary and my kids. It doesn't matter the building that we're in. When we're together, that is my home. You know, there's a great guy in the early A.D., in the, by around 50 A.D., his name's Pliny the Elder. And he said this, home is where the heart is. Maybe you've heard that. You had no idea it came from 50 A.D. I thought it was one of those 70s songs that happened in the, the era of love, right? But it was, home is where the heart is. And some of you may recognize that or resonate with that. You say, yeah, my heart is at home. Some of you might say, well, you know, my home was not a really great place. I didn't really like my home. There's a sense of brokenness that comes to the idea of home. And that sense of, of brokenness with this terminology of home continues to expound and grow in our culture. Fatherlessness is a huge epidemic within our country, within our world. And so this idea of home has been broken. This morning we're going to talk about heaven. And heaven is the believer's home. And we're going to look at what does that mean? What, what are we supposed to see or feel or experience when we think about heaven? And home is one of the words that really captures it. However, because of our broken definition of home, redefining our concept of home is crucial to understanding heaven. It is crucial for us to redefine our understanding of what home means. Maybe you had an excellent home environment, but there is more. We need to redefine our concept of home. Because the problem is, is that we have a broken concept. But not only do we have a broken concept of home, the, the concept of heaven alone has been just so beat up in our culture the last 20 years. Pastors stand at their pulpit and say heaven is not real. Pastors stand in the pulpit and say, I don't understand why we would think heaven is real. And, and part of that, that brokenness of understanding heaven is because if we admit there's a heaven, we also have to admit that there's a hell. And so that concept we don't really want to think about. Jesus in the Gospels talks about heaven and hell 
most of all. He has these discussions often where we see the the brokenness and the pain of hell, but the beauty and the wonder of heaven. And so as we talk about this idea of heaven, I want us to to really frame up what Jesus is saying. And maybe you're saying, like I prayed, oh, I know all about heaven, I understand it, I get the concept, but there's so much more. Because we're going to be looking at the question this morning of what does heaven look like and how do I get there? What does heaven look like and how do I get there? And I believe Jesus answers that question. So if you're in John chapter 14, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. So if you'd follow along with me, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Jesus is still with his his disciples in this moment. This is the deathbed discussions that we have been talking about. This is his last moments with his disciples. He'd washed their feet. He had come to a place where he was sharing with them about his death and the denials and the betrayal of both Judas and Peter. And this is where we find it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Wow. It's a beautiful conversation about heaven and the way in which we are to get there. But as we unpack this, we need to understand what is Jesus really saying about the place of heaven. And I think the first thing that we can see in verses 1 through 2 is that heaven is a home where we can find a haven. Heaven is a home where we can find a haven. Why do I say that? Well, after Jesus had just described that he's going to die, that he's going to leave them, and after they were saying, no, that can't happen, and Jesus said to Peter, yeah, you don't want it to happen, but you're going to help make it happen by betraying me in your denials of me. You're going to pretend like you don't even know me. And they look troubled. They clearly have stress on their face. Like, how is this going to happen? What is going to happen to us? He says he's leaving. He's going to die. We've got to go where he's going. We have no idea. He's leaving. We've got to follow. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And after he shares why they should not be troubled, it's because he's going to prepare a place for them. He's going to prepare a place for them. Heaven is a home where we can find a haven. Heaven is a place of love and safety. Just think about what Jesus says as well to his disciples. Heaven is a place. It's a real place. 
He says that. I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. He is declaring heaven is real. If somebody gets up into a pulpit and said heaven is not real, then they don't trust what Jesus says because he says it is a real place. Amen? I don't know how pastors can get around this passage. I don't know. I, I just don't get it how we can deny the reality of heaven, that it is a real place. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, this, this, this idea, this concept alone kind of blows my mind that Jesus is going to go. He has to leave so that he can send the Holy Spirit and make my bed in heaven. That's a really strange thing to think about. That he is going and, and setting up my room, preparing it for me, because I am a believer who has followed through and understood that he died and he rose again for me. That is belief. That is the gospel. And we believe here at the church that we want to proclaim the gospel as a church. And the gospel is that Jesus died and rose again to save us one for all. He did it for us so that he can go and prepare a place for us. It is a home where we can find a haven. If you look at Revelation 21.4, the same author who wrote this, John, also wrote the book of Revelation, and he says this about heaven, this place of safety, this place of haven. He says, he, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. So then, heaven is a place of safety and comfort. Heaven is a place of safety and comfort. Just listen to that line, no more pain. The former things have passed away. He brings about a full restoration of the way in which he developed and created man to be in deep relational intimacy with himself, to walk hand in hand in the garden. And if you recognize, Genesis begins with the garden and ends with a city that is also a garden. He restores all things. Heaven is a place of safety and comfort. You see, our idea of home needs to be redefined because many people have a concept of home that is not safe or comfortable. If that is your definition, where there's some trepidation of going home, then that's, that's not heaven. You don't have to have trepidation. I remember as a kid, my, my stepdad was, he was a drunk and he was a violent man. And he would yell and scream all the time. And I, when I would go to my dad's house in Pittsburgh and it was time for me to go back, I had a huge stomach pain. I had to start taking medicine because my stomach was messed up. My whole physiological self was being ruined because of this unsafe place that I was going back into. That is not heaven. Heaven is a place of safety and comfort. All the time that we've lived on life, lived life on earth with the brokenness and the pain that we have experienced, that will be gone. Now, several people are saying, all right, well, I'm going to go right now. <laughs> well, no, we have a job to do, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But heaven is a place of safety and comfort. It is a beautiful place. Jesus then, in verses 1 through 4, he describes more and more about what heaven looks like. 
And one of the things I just appreciate so deeply about what Jesus did and said is that heaven is a place purposefully prepared for the believer. It's purposefully prepared. It wasn't an accident. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He said, your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it. Just think about this picture where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and take you home. Jesus is returning. Whether the world thinks so or not, whether the world wants him to return or not, he will come back. And in that moment when we pass away, we pass into the presence of the living God. And if we are here at the time where all things end in this world, he will come again and take every believer home with him. He is going to prepare a place for you. And he says this, this, this word of rooms. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And that word can also be translated mansions. Now, some commentators say, we all receive a mansion when we get to heaven. See, I think it's just a room in one of the many mansions that Jesus has prepared for us. Why would we need a mansion? We just need a room so we can go down to the living room when we wake up to glorify and worship Jesus. We don't need a huge house. Some people get lost in mansions. Right? But there's, the purpose of this word is to show the, the vast, huge nature of heaven. It is giant. If it can hold the presence of the living God, wow, that's huge. Giant. You, you sit there and think, oh, I know, heaven's the place upstairs, and oh, it's going to have all these different things. But just think about the vastness of heaven. We have such a, a concept of physical nature that we can't even fathom the reality of something that is endless. Sometimes when I think about eternity, even though I've been a Christian for a very long time and I'm a pastor, I think about eternity, I don't understand it, so my stomach gets a little bit weird. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you just sit and you, you meditate on eternity and you're like, oh, I can't even understand that. Oh, that makes me feel Woo, not in a bad way, not in a, oh my gosh, I'm really scared, but oh my goodness, I have no idea what that looks like. And that kind of freaks me out. But heaven is so vast and so large. Jesus is giving his disciples, and by way of the scriptures, us, this picture of heaven, saying it is so huge, it is so beautiful, it is so wonderful. You know, it's, it's, it's just mind-blowing to think about this idea of heaven. Heaven is far more beautiful and grand than we could ever imagine. Heaven is far more beautiful and grand than we could ever imagine. It is home. It is for us who believe. When we pass away, we pass into his presence. And there he is waiting for us, calling us home. That's one of the greatest things about doing a funeral, funeral for a believer is that it is an exciting celebration. Now, there's the pain of, of, of losing that person in this life, but heaven is rejoicing, welcoming that person home. 
Home is so beautiful. I don't know if you, if, if you guys have kids that are going, coming home on the bus or whatever, but one of, the, one of my favorite things about home is I'm not always there. On Mondays this happens for me because it's my day off. But Hillary always waits by the door and on the porch for the kids to get off the bus and come home. And I love that because what that says to our kids is you're welcome here. We're so glad you're home. We've been waiting for you to come home. It's that sense of welcome. And God is on the porch for every believer when we pass from this life into the next, and he's waiting for us. That's the sense of home that we need to understand when it comes to heaven. Why would someone want to erase the idea of heaven? It is so beautiful and so grand and so wonderful. And here Jesus is sharing this beautiful thing. And another thing that I think is important for us to grasp is that heaven is a place where we are wanted. Heaven is a place where we are wanted. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. If it weren't true, why would I tell you? And that's where you look at this idea of pastors saying that heaven doesn't exist or Christians say heaven doesn't exist. I can understand non-Christians saying that, people in the secular world, because they're afraid of this concept. But how in the world can you say it doesn't exist when Jesus says, if it weren't true, would I have told you? It's like he's looking at them saying, I see the doubt on your face, but why would I lie? I'm kind of Jesus. I don't tell lies. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. And he's saying, listen, I'm telling you the 100% truth. Heaven is real. Heaven is a place. And I am setting it up for you. I've got to go so that I can set your room up. That's a powerful statement that he's making about heaven. It is a place where you are wanted. If you weren't wanted there, he wouldn't bother putting your room together. He wouldn't bother getting the heavenly Ikea furniture and putting it together so that you had a place to put your stuff. He wouldn't care. He would just be like, ah, all right, come on, whatever, walk in the door, hi, I'm just going to watch TV. That's not how God welcomes home his children. That is not the way it looks like. Heaven is a place where you are wanted. Maybe your concept of home has never been a place where you walk in and feel wanted. But erase that from your mind because home for the believer is a place where we are wanted, where Jesus has set it up for us. Now, I haven't had an A.W. Tozer quote in a while, so I had to bring one out. If you don't know, I I think A.W. Tozer is a great author. He said this, Did you ever stop to think that God is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you are pleased to be there. Think about that concept. Yeah, we're excited. We have eternal life with the living God. We get to worship him and praise him and be in his powerful, living, beautiful presence. Oh my goodness, I am so glad to be there. And the same feeling that you have about going to heaven is the same feeling he has about you going to heaven. That is crazy to me. Why would God be that excited about me? Why would God be that excited about when I'm done with this life that he would want to hang out with me for eternity? Even that, my my wife wouldn't want to do that. 
maybe a lot of days and a lot of time, but eternity to hang out with me, that'd be, whoo, I'd just pray for that woman. She puts up with a lot. <laughs> but he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to be, have you home with him. He wants to have meals and dipnon, long, lingering meals with you to sit at the table, to be with you. Heaven is a place where you are wanted. That is a powerful truth that I think we need to embrace and grasp onto because we don't always feel wanted in this world. We might not always feel wanted at our job or at our home or whatever it is, but no matter what, we have a place where we are wanted. And when he says, welcome home, it's a big celebration. It is a big celebration. Jesus then goes on to talk about not just what heaven looks like, but how we are to get there. When Thomas asked that question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, because Jesus just said, you know I'm going. He said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we get to heaven? It's this wonderful place that we all are saying, yes, that is an exciting place that I would really love to be. And Jesus says the pathway to heaven has been paved by Jesus. The pathway to heaven has been paved by Jesus. In Acts 4.12, it states this, and there is, no sal- there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is not just Jesus saying this. It is the entirety of Scripture. It is the culmination of the story of the good news. Jesus is the way. That Greek word is hodos, which means the way, the path, or the road. He is the road. Now, this is where a lot of people in our culture have a very difficult time with the Bible. Because what the Bible is saying, what Jesus is telling his disciples, is that the gospel is exclusively one way. That's it. Our world doesn't like that. We live in a very pluralistic society where we want to believe that we can get to heaven through other means, through other ways. You know, every religion that you look at talks about you doing the work to please the deity. You must do all of these things. But the gospel says you can't do anything. Jesus has done it all. You simply need to believe and trust that he died for you, rose again, that he is God, that he is the only way, and that is the pathway to heaven. But we don't always like that in our pluralistic society because exclusivity seems hard to handle. But Jesus says this is exclusive. And we cannot, we must not, shy away from the exclusivity of the gospel. Because when we do that, we throw the entire word of God out and say none of it is true. Even though we pretend like some of it is, when we say that the gospel is not exclusive, we've missed the whole point of the story. Because the Old Testament is a road showing us the way to Jesus. And the New Testament is taking us from Jesus to salvation and home. 
It's one way. But who would not want that? The heaven, the picture, the home that Jesus shows us. See, the the exclusivity of the gospel says Jesus is the only way. And what the Bible tells us is when we get closer to the Father, when we get closer in intimate relationship with Him, our lives are transformed. Our wants change. But what we want to do is continue down the path of what we want to do. And so if someone tells us we can't do something, you've probably seen this in your kids, someone tells us that we can't do something, we want to go ahead and do that exact thing. But the gospel is exclusive. My friends, we must stand firm on Jesus being the way. If Jesus' resurrection is true, which it is, his statements about himself must be true. Jesus in this doesn't just say that he is the way. He says that he is the truth and the life. And that Greek word zoe, which means life or to be alive, means this, that not only am I your salvation, not only am I the way to heaven, not only am I the one who will give you life eternal, but I give you life now. When you accept and believe in me as the way, you become alive, or the doctrinal word regenerate. You have new life. You went from death to life. He says, I am the way. This is how you get to my father's house. I am the truth. Everything I say is 100% true. You could take it to the bank. Everything I said, you can just own it because it is true. 100% unconcealed. I have given you everything that you need. And then we are alive in him. One of the most beautiful things about becoming regenerate, becoming a Christian, a believer, when we believe in the gospel, we trust that he died for us and know that he rose again and he conquered Satan's sin and death and wiped away our sins. When we come to that place, we become new. What the Bible says is that we have an old heart of stone taken out and we are given a new heart of flesh. So that this is what we are to understand You are not truly alive unless you are alive in Christ. And that is not just an eternal reality. That is a right now reality. This is another offensive saying that the world does not like. But we look at people who do not believe in Jesus and we say, you have not experienced real life. That's a really hard statement to say to someone. They're like, well, I'm alive. I've lived my life. Look at what I did. Look at all these different things. You have same physical kind of life that I have. What do you mean I'm not alive? Well, if you accept Jesus, you'll understand what I mean. You'll recognize this life well up within you. The Holy Spirit comes in at the moment of salvation, and you are justified. You are set free. You've probably seen people's lives who were stuck in addiction, but they came to know Jesus, and everything melted away. And you're like, what Well, what happened to you? Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He brings us to life. And when we live life, when we live as alive believers, when we live the regenerate life before others, you and I are an image, a picture of Jesus and of heaven. You and I are bringing the kingdom That's why we pray, may your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Declaring the Christ's kingdom is now. 
Heaven is a now but not yet reality. We can experience some of the down payment of heaven now. And we can bring that to our neighborhoods, our communities, our places. Because we are alive with Christ. We have the capacity to show people the way and let them get alive in Christ as well. To share the news. I heard one, one proverb is the gospel, the reality for believers is that we are one beggar who found the bread, who goes and brings others to the bread. That's the reality. We have the life of Christ flowing within us. We are to direct and lead and guide others to this life. Our life should be marked and changed. If you've read C.S. Lewis' book, called The Great Divorce, he talks about this tangible difference of heaven and earth where he goes to heaven, this this picture of this guy going to heaven, and everything seems what he says is more real. Everything seems more real than it did before. Well, why is that? Because the regenerate life allows us to see the reality that is around us because we have living eyes to see rather than dead eyes that are blind. That's why we sing, I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. This is the reality of the gospel. Kostenberger says this, Jesus continues to encourage his disciples by telling them to trust in God and trust also in him. The Greek term pistuyo denotes personal relational trust. How do we get to heaven? Well, he says, I'm the way. What does that look like? He goes, go back up to verse 1 in verse 14, in chapter 14, and he says, believe in God, believe also in me. How do we get to heaven? We believe in him. What does that mean? We trust him with a relational intimacy. What we say when we believe in God and then we believe that the gospel is true, what we're saying is I am putting all of my eggs in Jesus' basket. That's it. I'm putting all of my trust, everything I am. I'm believing it all, 100%. As Phil said, we're going all in. Are we going all in? Because trust and belief in the gospel is all that you and I need on this planet. That is all that we need. And it leads us directly to heaven. Are we living that life? Are we acting upon that? The next thing that we can see is that heaven is a place of rich relational intimacy. I've said before that the book of John is the most emotive gospel. It elicits the most emotion. We see the emotions of the disciples more so in this gospel. We see this relational intimacy, this knowing, this gnosko more than we've seen in different areas. And we see Jesus talking to his disciples about knowing him and knowing the Father. You and I can have what Ephesians says, a down payment of the Holy Spirit now where we have knowledge of God but we don't know God in his fullness until we are in his presence. But what Jesus is saying is that there is deep, rich, relational intimacy in heaven. Some people say, oh, heaven is just us going and singing alongside other people. That's absolutely true. But it's also a relational reality where we get to know the fullness of God, where on earth, if we saw God's presence, we would die, like, just right away. We can now be in the very presence of the living God for eternity. It's a beautiful, beautiful relational reality. Jesus states, from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. 
We can know God now, but know him in his fullness in heaven. Heaven is a now but not yet reality. That's where when, when we have this conversation with believers and we get excited about heaven and we see the beauty of heaven, we say, I want to go now. I'm ready to go home now. But heaven is a now and not yet reality. You and I still, as we breathe, we have a mission. We have a purpose on this planet to show the life of the living God, to declare the gospel until he comes again. One of the reasons why missions was such a passionate part of the CMA is because there's this belief of the scriptures, of understanding that as we go and evangelize the world, we are helping to usher back the king because the Bible says that when people know the gospel all across the world, all peoples and tribes have been evangelized to and the word has been put forth, then he will come. So there's this passion of saying, bring back the king. Because when he comes again, he will take us to our home. Are we living a life with such passionate, regenerated hearts that we're drawing people to the gospel, that we are showing and sharing the gospel with our friends, our family, our coworkers, so that we can usher the king back? We need to be ushering back the king. And finally, as we look at what heaven is, heaven is the restoration of all brokenness. Heaven is the restoration of all brokenness. As we saw in Revelation 21 and 22, the finality that heaven brings to Satan's sin and death, where tears, pain, trials, suffering, all of the brokenness in this world and all of the brokenness in your life are erased. Jesus is the only way to experience full restoration. Jesus is the only way to come alive and experience restoration on this earth. Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. And he is the only life. Amen. Amen. We have a loving Father who desires to be with us. We have a wonderful Savior who has saved us from our sins and saved us from ourselves. May we be believers who live with the hope of heaven, but also live alive in Christ to bring heaven to a broken world. Because you and I are the closest thing that this world is going to see of heaven and of Jesus unless they come to salvation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gospel. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for those who might be in this room who have never received the gospel. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself right now. That they will look and see the reality of your love for them, of your desire to be with them, of your desire to fill them, of your desire to transform them, of your desire to love them and bring them home when it's time. I pray that they will submit their lives to you right now, that they will ask for you to come into their heart, believing that they are saved from their sin because you died, your blood covered over and washed away their sin.
and they can stand firm that your resurrection is true. Father, for those of us who are believers who know you, may we continue to live alive in Christ. And may we recognize that we know where the bread is and we need to take the rest of the world so that we can usher in the return of the King. In your name.